The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Our desire for this weekend is that you would be encouraged, you would grow in your marriage and just grow in your love for each other. But we're not going to uh, we're not going to be um, we're just going to teach the Bible. We're not going to try to be super creative. We've been doing now uh, marriage retreats for over 20 years. So it's like there's no reason to try to come up with new content every year. We've kind of shifted out of for years. We would have a different really heavy focus on marriage. And what we've learned is that if we just teach the Bible and the people that are hearing the word of God are submitting to the word of God, then they're going to be built up and sanctified and grow. And if you're each growing in your walk with Jesus, you're going to grow together. You're going to hear some testimonies this weekend of, of people whose lives have been so impacted by the gospel, and then we're going to hear their stories. That is encouraging. But tonight, I'm going to, I'm going to speak out of Ephesians 4. I'm going to do the first half of the chapter tonight, and then it will follow up, and we will do the second half of the chapter on Friday night of next October's marriage conference, so you got to come back to that. <laughs> um, so uh, that is a true story. Um, so we'll do <laughs> we'll do the first half tonight, and then and then I'm out. Like I'm I'm, I'm going to be out there cheering on the the rest of the teaching crew. Um, we got an incredible lineup this weekend, um, and I'm really excited for y'all to hear from Philip and Tanya Smith tomorrow. Hear their story, their gospel story. But tonight we're just going to look at a passage of Scripture that addresses unity in the body of Christ. Unity in the body of Christ. And if we think of the body of Christ, the church, the big C church, all of us in the church unified, uh, the, the home, the marriage, the family is, is sort of the core or the central piece of that. If we have strong, healthy families, then the church is going to be strong and healthy and it's going to impact our communities. Um, so we're going to walk through a passage that has to do with Christian unity or fellowship within the church. I want you to hear this passage and this application of Scripture in the context of your marriage first. So the closest friendship you have should be your spouse. The closest relationship should be your spouse. The most intimate sharing of life is between you and your spouse. Um, but then anything that would be said of unity within the body of Christ, then surely if we strive for that within our marriage, we're going to have healthy marriages. Like if Jesus says, bear with one another in love. Or carry one another's burdens, and in doing that you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Look, if that applies to the church, how beautiful is that in application between husband and wife, you know? And so uh, we're going to kind of walk through this from that perspective. And let me say this. Um, my man, Yuri, made a gender comment. Um, and uh, we, are in, we are in weird times right now. I just say it that way, I guess. It's strange times, y'all. And so we stand here and we say things to students. Some of y'all bring students here. Some of you come with students. We say things like, hey, the world is telling you this about gender or sexuality or marriage or relationships and look at me that's not real that's a demonic facade that the world has created I want you to know that we say things like that to your 15 year olds like we're we someone asked me last week uh, it was a, it was a it was a, an, an elderly gentleman who's been retired for 25 years and he and his wife support this ministry they they really work to bring students through our scholarship fund and 
and he actually was talking to Hank, and he asked Hank, he said, what are y'all going to do? What's it going to look like five years, 10 years, 50 years from now? How are you going to keep doing what you're doing? And it's because we know what we've been called to, and we will, we will die on that mountain. We will die on that hill under the blood-stained cross of Christ Jesus. And you need to know, and you need to hear it from me, that if you send your students here, they're going to hear an unadulterated, uncompromising gospel, but they're also going to be taught the historic doctrinal truths of Scripture, those truths that are blood-bought and blood-stained and that men and women have lived and died to preserve and that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against and that the tide of progressive culture is not going to touch. Y'all need to understand. I need to understand. We need to raise our kids to understand. It doesn't matter what current or tide comes against God's plan for marriage, gender, sexuality, family, men, women. No cultural tide will ever change that. It'll never change it. It's going to be here it's, because it's, it's, it's eternal truth rooted in an unchanging eternal God who designed marriage and the functions therein with a perfect plan and purpose and then said the church is like this and my relationship to the church is like this and here's how you can learn about that. No wonder the enemy wants to attack this. No wonder. The, it's about the gospel, man. It's about the, so yeah, so when your great-grandkids come to Snowbird and I'm dead and gone and long from this world, the same gospel will be proclaimed from this stage. When your grandsons and granddaughters attend a marriage conference at Snowbird Outfitters, if God tarries 50, 60, 70 years from now, the same biblical truth will be preached. So we, we cannot be creative enough to try to keep up with things. We're just going to preach and teach the Word of God. We're going to come under the authority of Scripture, and we're going to do that this weekend. So my name is Brody, if you're new. Um, I, should, yeah, I should have probably done that first. Sorry. Um, probably better. There's this guy. His name's Count Zinzendorf. He's not a Marvel villain. Um, he was actually a missionary mobilizer. He's uh, in, the, I think this was in the 17th century, 18th century. Count uh, Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Maybe you've heard of this guy. Maybe you've heard this quote. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. He's been... Uh, tagged with that phrase so maybe not introducing myself is better anyway anyway my name's Brody my wife is little she's the girl on the drums and we've been married for 28 years I think <laughs> 1994 is that right 28 yeah 28 and we got six kids um and we need our head examined and uh because we just keep going. <laughs> We're in the 50s. Yeah, let's have some more. Let's keep doing this. So anyway, God has blessed our family both with a blended, uh, blend of um, biological children and then three kids that God has brought into our family later. Um, and so we're thankful for that. And you would celebrate with us to know that the Lord has recently added um, that sixth child. His name's Malachi. He's 12. And we're so thankful to welcome him into our family. So, um, so anyway, we've learned some things along the way. Done more wrong than right probably. And when you do things wrong, if you surrender that to the Lord, then usually he, he teaches you some stuff, you know. And so, um, but this weekend, I, I, I say that just so you can know a little bit about me, but let me be clear, we're just going to teach the Bible. I'm not going to speak authoritatively as the, you know, as like the Zen master of marriage. That's not where we're coming from. We're just going to come from the Scripture and learn what God would have us to learn this weekend. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord... 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Let me say this on, the, on, on that phrase, bearing with one another in love. Um, if you look at the last verse of chapter 4, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let me say that as we're walking through this, marriage is really not that complicated. And it's, and it's crazy because we tend to, I almost feel like we exaggerate, and I've done this, I've preached before in this conference the complexities of marriage. But I think what we really probably need to do is walk it back to the simplicity of marriage. One man following Jesus, one woman following Jesus, surrendering your life to him every day, striving to surrender to his word every day, and I'm telling you, it will work out. It'll just work out. And at the root of that, like at the center of that, is being kind to one another, being tenderhearted, forgiving one another, being gracious, being quick to forgive, being slow to, to, to wrath and slow to anger. And so bearing with one another in love, that's, a, that's a, a powerful picture. There's a verse later that we're not going to cover in this portion of the text, but where it says, don't, don't sin in your anger. And it says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Have you read that? Don't let the sun. I remember when we were first married, I would think, okay, we've got to solve this and resolve this before we go to bed tonight. And there was some 3 a.m. nights where then you're more frustrated than when you started. You're too mad to sleep. You're nowhere near resolved because you're sleep deprived. So the, so the idea is be committed to resolving conflict and then go to bed. I think that's been at times be committed that conflict is not going to be the thing that defines your marriage. Bear with one another in love. Sometimes there's times where you go to bed and you'd be like, you know what? I'm not in a frame of mind to deal with this tonight. I don't trust me right now to, to have the discretion and the wisdom to figure this out. Could we both agree to pray about this, fast about this the next day or two, and then let's sit down and talk through this once we've sought the Lord? But it's that commitment to bear with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love is the idea that we're striving with one another, we're patient with one another, which that's going to come out in the text. So bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So in these first three verses, we get the first consideration. We're going to look at, at, at four or five considerations that he gives. First consideration is this. He gives us the manner of life that we're to live and walk a manner of life worthy of the calling. Now, when it says, when, when the scripture will say, live a manner of life that's worthy of the calling, it's not saying worthy in the sense that I received what I received from Jesus. Now let me pay him back. It's not that. God, God cannot be paid back, right? The, the, the gift of our salvation was purchased with the blood of Jesus. You, there's nothing you or I could ever do to pay that back. In fact, the, the scripture says the way that we fulfill obedience to Jesus is to be under obligation to people who are lost to share the gospel that's how we that's how we return to the Lord what he's done for us by ministering to others and in the context of marriage we bear with one another in love and we extend to each other all of these things listen to these characteristics of a godly relationship humility that's one of those things that if you ever meet somebody that's got it it's just awesome if they tell you that they've been growing in that area, that is oxymoronic. 
is what we call that. Or just moronic. You know, like you, I just feel like God's, well, hey, man, what have you been learning? What's God been, man, I've been growing in humility, you know? Like, nope, sorry. <laughs> you know, like that just completely, you just discredited yourself with that statement, right? But let me, let me tell you this about humility. Humility is not the opposite of pride. The opposite of pride is fear. A fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. One who fears the Lord walks in humility before the Lord. Humility is a product of fearing the Lord and growing in knowledge of the Lord. So it's the opposite of pride. Think about in the garden, the pride that led Adam and Eve in their marriage and before the Lord to that first sin. It was pride. It was, I want to be, we want to be autonomous. Let me tell you something. No one is autonomous. My laws, my, I mean, my bo- keep your laws off my body. My body, my, there's no such thing as self-autonomy. If you think that you have autonomy over yourself, then will yourself to be an inch taller. Will yourself to live a day longer. You know, we don't have an autonomy. Like, we don't have that. And so, so humility is the result of living with the fear of recognizing that I'm in the hands of a God who holds my next heartbeat in cadence by the word of his power. The writer of Hebrews says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1 says that it is by that word that Jesus spoke all things into existence. He's the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. By him and through him are all things. So when I recognize that, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to enable me to walk in a fear of the Lord. That's going to produce humility. And then gentleness, gentleness, slow to speak, gentle in our answers with one another. Patience, another biblical, uh, a biblical word for patience, a synonym in the Scripture that sometimes even in translation, the same word will be translated patience or steadfastness. When we think of patience, I think, listen, when, when you think of patience, self-quiz, do you not think of, I, I do, I think of wait, sitting and waiting. The biblical idea of patience is often and sometimes the idea of moving forward in a steadfast cadence. I'm trusting the journey that God has placed me on. I'm working towards a prize that is the high calling of Christ, in Christ Jesus. So patience is not just sitting back. Some of us are really bad at sitting back and waiting. There's times where we're going to wait on the Lord. But patience, the idea is steadfastness. A marriage that is gentle with two people that fear the Lord and submit to Christ in humility and are steadfast with one another and gentle with one another, that bear with one another in love. That's a biblical and a powerful marriage. And then he says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're eager to maintain unity, not quick to fight, quick to argue. The two, the two hurdles that every marriage in this room faces, every single marriage, you're going to face, you, you have to work through this. And some of you have worked through it. Probably most of us have. People tend to be, you've heard this, right? People are either fight or flight. Or I think there's a third F and it's called freak out. <laughs> like some people do that one, you know? Like, but the idea is some people want to dip. A lot of marriages struggle because one spouse is wired to, we got to deal with this. Got to fix it right now. Fix what's broken. And the other spouse is more like, I got to sit on this. 
I've got to think about this. I'm a slow processor. And so, you know, like that can cause tension sometimes, right? Where it's like, we've got to get to the bottom of this. We've got to figure this out. Well, the, the, the idea is let's be eager to maintain unity and to strive for peace, whatever that process looks like, whatever that timeline looks like. Let's just be committed to that. So then we get into the next consideration in verse 4. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your, uh, to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, through all. In verses 4 through 6, this, I, want, I want you to take this next consideration. So we considered the manner that we walk that's worthy of the calling. Let's now consider the unity that we have in our marriage is rooted in the unity that God has within himself. Look what he says. There is, uh, in verse 4, one spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. Verse 5, one Lord, capital L, New Testament word that will often refer to Jesus. Verse 6, one God and Father of all. There we have in those three verses the unified Trinitarian God. You see it? Our unity is rooted in the fact that we are chosen, called, and loved by God. That Christ, God the Son, paid the ultimate sacrifice to bring us into reconciliation with God and reconciliation with our spouse. And that we are bound and knit together by the Holy Spirit that draws us into relationship. The second consideration is that your unity in marriage is rooted in the unity of a triune God who is in perfect, harmonious unity. That's what we're rooted in. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, this is where drawing the, the conclusion of a marriage can get a little bit tricky because this third consideration would be that the function of unity is driven by the gifts that God gives. So the, fun, the way we're unified, so think about this, in the body of Christ, he goes through a list of things. There's teachers. There's people, in, like in the body of Christ, God has people that are, that are really good worker bees and servers and servants, and then there's people that can teach really well, and then there's some like Christian sugar daddies that make a bunch of money and support the work of the ministry. We like those. If you know any of those looking for a ministry to like, you know, keep kicking them down the road, like send them our way. Like there's Christian sugar daddies, <laughs> you know, there's like, there's people that are really good Bible teachers. Um, then there's people that are not real smart, but they're strong. They can lift heavy stuff, and they're really useful on, like, work days around church. But whatever it is, like, God wires us differently, right? And he takes all these gifts, and he puts us together, and he calls it the Big C Church, and we work together on mission to build the kingdom of Jesus. The church is on mission, man. You walk through the, walk, man, walk in. I'd use this illustration. Walk into the subway, and I walked up there. And I said, I, want, I said, ooh, they, they got new names for the sandwiches. <laughs> they got this one called the outlaw. And I was like, what is the outlaw? Is that like a biker game? Because <laughs> I watched that one show. <laughs> it's the outlaw. And so then the, the, uh, the, the guy's like, he mumbled something, you know. I don't know. What do you want? 
I thought you were a sandwich artist. <laughs> you know? And, but, like, if you walk up and you're like, hey, man, what are you doing here? Well, I work at Subway. I make people's lunch. <laughs> or if you're like, hey, man, what do you do here? And it's like, oh, I'm a sandwich artist. <laughs> I craft meals that bring joy to the dining experience in the middle of the work day. And people come in here, and they're like that one guy that lost all of that weight, and they have an incredible afternoon experience, not in a brain fog, not sleepy, because they ate fried food, but because they had a sandwich that I made. And we have Parmesan bread, if you want that. We've got a bunch of bread. In fact, the bread's fresh. We baked it here. It's an incredible experience to dine here. We have the outlaw. Could I introduce you to that and maybe interest you in it? You seem like an outlaw kind of guy. That dude is serious about making sandwiches, right? Like, like too many Christians are like, hey, man, what, where are you at? I'm a Christian. Yo, what's your favorite song? It's called Victory in Jesus. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of it. It's like, and it, but it's like Eeyore. You know what I'm saying? Y'all been around those people? Like I've, got, like I've got a family member. I won't say who. I won't even say the relation. And I've got a couple of these family members. Hey, how's it going? Going, going, you're doing good. Hey, how's it going? Going, hey. Well, oh man, you okay? Yeah, yeah, it's just been, it's just crazy, man. What's crazy? I just saw you Thursday. It's Saturday. We had pizza. It was fun. Remember, football game was on. That one cousin was drinking a lot of beer, and we were all laughing at him because he's such a redneck. Yeah, remember, what's going? What's wrong? Whoo! Well, kids are out of school today. I, I know it's Saturday. That's a normal thing, you know, like. <laughs> That's how it's been that way for decades. <laughs> you should be used to that rhythm by now. I had to go to Walmart this morning. Okay, now I'm starting to feel your pain. You know what I mean? Like, like, why'd you have to do that? Well, I've been doing laundry. Oh, it's your life is not as bad as you seem to think it is right now. You know, like you went to Walmart, the kids are home, you did laundry. It's okay. There's people getting blown up someplace right now. You know, like it's not that big, but so many Christians, and then you find come to find out this person is a professing Christian. And the scripture says, The joy of the Lord is my and the scripture will repeatedly warn us against grumbling and murmuring and complaining. And at one point in the Old Testament, them cats are grumbling and murmuring and complaining. And God just starts killing them. And you read that and you're going, uh, that's the Old Testament, right? And I'm like, uh, that's the same God. Like, be real careful with how you bridge the two covenants. Like, there's a bridge there, but you just need to, it ain't like a nine-lane freeway bridge. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's the same God. And he expects us to carry with us a joy and an excitement and a happiness and to cultivate that in our relationships. And so I would say to you, how are you using your gifts and your calling and your opportunities to cultivate a place of joy and happiness? That's why God, he's like, that's why he gives us the gifts. Like our unity, go back to the previous consideration. Our unity is rooted in the unity of a triune God where Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father who he obeyed though he's equal with him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. 
We can't endure a load of laundry and a trip to Walmart. <laughs> complaining Christians, complaining husbands, complaining wives. Can't be. It's joy. That consideration of the unity that leads to the consideration of that unity is manifest in the exercising of gifts within the relationship. God has gifted each of you. Little and I first got married, and uh, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of, fibbed my way into a job and and I exaggerated my qualifications and the job was a, a frame it was a construction job at a camp because I went to work at, God used that experience at that camp to then give us the call in to start snowbird but I went to work at this camp and remember when I go to the uh, I go into the interview and the guy rolls out blueprints I have no idea what I'm looking I'm like oh it's blue ink that's why they call this blueprint I remember thinking that I've always heard of blueprints. I've never seen any. <laughs> Kristen Harwood's in here right now, probably cringing. Like, blueprint. They're blue. They're, they're, li- I remember, th- I remember ADHD. Anybody else? I'm like, they're really blue. <laughs> and he's like, can you? And he starts to, it's like this master, but we're going to build six cabins and we're going to do a dining hall addition and we're going to do a remodel on our worship facility and can you do this and I was like huh yeah <laughs> do you have construction background man I used to build those model cars I built and VBS I built a birdhouse out of popsicle sticks if you can build a livable structure out of popsicle sticks surely you can build a bathroom you know so I'm like yeah man I got it I got you <laughs> dude hired me then I realized I got to put in a two-week notice and come to work for this guy and perform in like two weeks, you know. So I was also given, I was 22 years old, and I had a budget, which I didn't, I had to go look that up. <laughs> What's that mean? My, up to that point, my budgetary practices had been, if you don't have the money, then you don't spend it. If you do have it, you spend it and have a good time. Like that was, I wasn't in debt. I also didn't have nothing, you know, like, so... <laughs> So I, get, so I get the job, right? So I go in. Well, I hired this guy named Kenny Osgood. Kenny Osgood to this day reminds me of Gimli from Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you know that guy. He's the dwarf, long red beard. He's about this tall. That was Kenny Osgood. Kenny Osgood was like, show up, and it was like Cheech and Chong's van. I mean, a puff box. He was hot boxing on the way to work, and he would get out of work at this Christian camp, and he would be wearing like sweatpants, Crocs, and he had this leather tool belt that was the coolest tool belt I ever saw in my life. I was like, I want to get a tool belt. Went and bought a tool belt, but when you get them and they're new, they're really stiff, and I was like, I would look like an idiot if I show up wearing this. I drugged that tool belt behind my, my truck up and down a gravel road for about three miles. True story. And I went, I was like, and, and so I got my tool belt and I show up, but my hammer was this little 16-ounce hammer. <laughs> Kenny had this big hammer. I was like, Kenny, what, is, what kind of hammer is that, man? He said, that's a framing hammer. That's an east wing, s wing, framing hammer pronounced west wing east wing framing hammer that hammer is a lot bigger than my hammer he's like yeah and so kenny's teaching me how to frame so i went home i told little about the framing hammer so she bought the framing hammer for me for a gift first post wedding day gift i got was that framing hammer it was that christmas i was so excited framing hammer was shiny had had a waffle head on it like if me and you know what I'm talking about? So like on, on 16 penny 
coated sinkers, you've got that waffle pattern on the head, and so it gives you better traction. And uh, I learned how to frame. Kenny taught me how to frame, but at this point, I didn't know how to frame. I was beating my knuckles up with that hammer. <laughs> that hammer is nothing more than a knuckle-beating, good-for-nothing piece, hunk of iron, steel, metal, whatever, until you learn how to take the tool and use it constructively to build something that's going to still be standing 20 years from now. God's given you gifts. Think of those gifts as tools that if you don't learn how to use them, they're going to end up being the very thing you beat your marriage into the ground with or that you ignore and never put to work. Like, God, like gifts are tools supplied, but we got to figure out how to use them got to figure out how to use it so the gifts have to be considered verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of christ so why do we have these tools these gifts to equip one another this this goes really good with the next chapter and we're going to hear from rob on that tomorrow um we're going to chapter five tomorrow and i'm excited for y'all to hear that it'll be tomorrow evening and there's that one section in chapter five where it's like the sanctification of my spouse that's my highest calling for my spouse what is sanctification it is conformity to the image of jesus we live in a cultural context uh met my brother and sister from binghamton new york that ain't the bible belt right but there's a bunch of us from the bible belt and in the bible belt up until about nine years ago everybody was a christian you finally get people that go no i'm not a christian that's like a new thing for us because cultural christianity it's cultural Christianity. Sanctification says you didn't just get saved so you get to one day get a free pass out of hell. You got saved so that you could die to yourself, take up your cross daily, and be one degree at a time conformed to the image of Jesus. That's the process. And in that process, as you are being conformed to Christ's image and she is being conformed to Christ's image, you're being drawn more into unity and fellowship with one another. And so we got to consider in verse 12 that the means of growth in each of our lives and in the, lives of, uh, in, in the life of the marriage is discipleship, becoming more like Jesus, growing in holiness, becoming more joyful regardless of the financial situation. God gave these gifts for three reasons in verse 12, to equip the saints, that's believers, husband and wife, to be able to work together on mission and to build one another up. Let me say it again. Equip the saints. God gives the gifts so that we would equip one another, be equipped and equip one another. Work on mission together and build one another up. So my gifts and the way I use them should be working to fulfill these three things. First, I should be encouraging my spouse and helping her to be better at the woman that God's called her to be. Second, I should be working for the greater and grander call of the gospel, namely reaching our community and the ends of the earth with the message of the gospel. And third, I should be working to build the kingdom through the advance of the church, and that is a long-term goal. We're building a kingdom. Go back to the subway illustration. It's like, it's like the old illustration that there's three guys working on the cathedral, and they ask the first guy, what are you doing? Well, I'm laying block. They ask the next guy, what are you doing? I'm building this wall. They ask the third guy, what are you doing? I'm building what is going to be the most amazing cathedral in all the, in all, on all the earth. Like a big picture, long-term picture. 
you have to have immediate goals, but we have to have long-term goals in the Christian life and in our marriage. 2009, we bought our first house. We'd already been married 15, 14, let's see, 15 years. We started Snowbird, man. The first three years we were at Snowbird, we lived in a cabin with no running water, no insulation, screened-in porch. would wrap that sucker in about nine layers of 12-mil plastic and staple it in the winter. One-room cabin. We caught that thing on fire twice trying to stay warm. <laughs> three winters, my wife. Outhouse, pitter-patter out to the – I'm talking about not the porta potty That's different. They come and clean that sucker and leave you a little bar of soap in there, you know, once you know what I'm talking about. Like outhouse, wooden shack, hole in the ground, dump a bag of lime in there about once every three months. That's how we were living. And I remember for the first few years that we were parents, we moved out of that when Little had morning sickness at the first pregnancy. And I'm like, you want to move somewhere like they have a heat and a toilet? And she's like, I think that'd be good. I was like, you want to renew our vows while we're at it? You know, <laughs> She's tough. So we've been married 15 years. We bought our first house. It was a fixer-upper before they had reality shows about such nonsense, before people had cool branding models at Target and Best Buy, whatever, Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know. What are you, like, like. It was a fixer-upper, meaning it was not fit to live in. You could not inhabit this house, right? So we got the house. We got one room where you could use it. We moved into that room. Got a second room, third room. Then we could put kids in. This was a process. Last week, and by last week, I mean yesterday. What's today, Friday? Thursday morning, I was working on the most recent project on that house. 2009. It's 2022. <laughs> Anybody else have that experience? Oh, we'll fix it up. It'll be awesome. Nah, yeah, you will. And your grandkids may get to enjoy it if the inflation deal slows down, you know? Like, but, it's, but, but that's part of the fun. What are we going to do next? Where are we going to go next? It's an adventure of sorts, but it's work. And at times it's frustrating. And at times it's financially stressful. And at times it puts strain on the relationship. And, but it's, we can see where we're going. Like your marriage exists beyond the end of your nose or beyond the end of this day or beyond the end of this argument or beyond the end of this sexual frustration. You have to see the big picture plan of God to build the kingdom through your family. Your own mission. Your own mission. So the third piece of that is that we're working to build the kingdom and it's a long-term goal. So I want you to, in conclusion and final consideration, consider this. The goal of growth and maturity. The goal of growth and maturity i got a working urban definition of maturity. It would be this, continually taking on more and more responsibility. A simple way to explain that to teenagers. What does it mean to grow in maturity? That you're willing and able and qualified to take on more and more and more responsibility. But too often in our marriages, rather than maturing and taking on more responsibility, we, we, we grow apart and we push responsibility away. A marriage that's maturing is going to be the fruit of two people that are maturing in Christ. 
taking more and more and more responsibility. Verse 16, the final consideration, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The final consideration is this. The final consideration is consider the effects of a unified body. Consider the strength that husband and wife have in a godly unified marriage. The strength that you will grow in will be a strength that makes you unstoppable in parenting, in growing a business, in growing the church, in reaching your neighbors, in preparing for the senior years. A strength that is unstoppable. The second effect of a unified body is the joy of fellowship. The joy of fellowship. Fellowship with your spouse? That's good fellowship. And the last one is that you've heard this. This is so good. It's so cliched. But your joys will be multiplied and your sorrows will be divided. We walk through life together, taking the gifts God's given us, the commitment God's given us, with a long-term goal in sight, committed to my spouse's sanctification, her Christ-likeness, not standing in the way of that, not being the person that God has to grow her in spite of, but that God grows her in addition to growing me and that we grow together and that we're unified in that. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.